What is up, Northridge Church? Merry Christmas, everybody. Come on, who's excited for Christmas? Yeah. It is that time of year. I love this time of year. And, and traditionally, everybody kind of gets ready for Christmas after Thanksgiving. So I hope everybody had a wonderful, amazing Thanksgiving with their family. But really, traditionally, this is when everybody kind of gets their, their bins and their boxes around. Don't get me wrong. There, there's some crazy people out there. Don't know who they would be, but they decorate way too early for Christmas. But this is when we, we, we get those bins out full of lights and garland and all the things. And we begin the process of decorating and preparing for Christmas. But of all the, the decor pieces that Christmas brings, the lights, the garland, the mistletoe, there is nothing, there's no better piece of decor for Christmas than the Christmas tree. It is the pinnacle piece of decor for Christmas. Almost everybody sets up a Christmas tree. In fact, it's one of my favorite things we, we do in our family is putting up that tree. And the reason why is in my family, the Christmas tree is really not decor at all. It's a trip down memory lane. Because Ashley and I, when we were first married, we, we started a tradition that has, is, continues to go and will go throughout our life. Is Anytime that we go together somewhere and make a memory, anytime we do stuff with our kids, or anytime we want to be reminded of someone in our, in our life, we buy an ornament. And we hang those ornaments every uh, December on that tree, and it reminds us of things that we want to be reminded of. And so if you were to come to our house and you were to see our tree, you would find an ornament from Disney World. When we took our kids to Disney World way too early, it was horrible. They hated the lines, but it was a memory. You'll find on our tree uh, ornaments that remind us of people who are no longer with us. Ornaments with my dad's signature. Ornaments of my Gigi and Ashley's grandparents. When you look at our tree, you will find ornaments that Ashley and I made when we were this big. Because it's a trip down memory lane. But my favorite ornament, the ornament that makes me laugh every time I see it, is this giant silver heart locket. And on this giant silver heart locket, you can imagine what it says. It says, my first Christmas. It was given to Ashley and I when we were newlyweds. It was our first Christmas as a married couple. And what's so funny about this ornament is it is a locket and you can open it up. And when you open it up, you would probably think that you would find a picture of Ashley and I in our youth. You know, a picture of our first Christmas together. But when you open it, you will find some random people from Hallmark smooching on our Christmas tree. I don't know who these people are, but every year they make our Christmas tree. But let's be real. There's nothing like the first Christmas. There's nothing like the first Christmas as a little kid understanding what is, is coming. There's nothing like a little Baylor who's, who's two years old. And, and when he walks up to the Christmas tree every morning, he goes, tree on. Because the magic of Christmas. There's nothing like that first Christmas when, when, when you as a newlywed couple begin to establish your traditions for your family unit. 
There's nothing like that first Christmas as, as grandparents getting to see your grandchildren enjoy the holiday season. And what's really cool about this Christmas is for some of you, it'll be the first Christmas that you celebrate understanding what it really means, understanding the true gift of Jesus. And yet for many of us, as Christ followers who, who know Jesus and celebrate Christmas after Christmas, maybe this year is a callback to that first Christmas where you saw Jesus and, and you had passion and zeal in your heart for what Christmas was ultimately about. How do we get back to that first Christmas feeling? Well, I would suggest in this series, My First Christmas, the way maybe we do that is by understanding the names that Jesus was given at the first Christmas. And by understanding Jesus and who he is, maybe we will come back to that first Christmas. So if you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you make your way to Matthew chapter 1, I want to do th two things. The first thing I want to do is just welcome you. Welcome to Northridge Church. And we like to say it like this, welcome home. Welcome to the family, and we hope this Christmas season you feel that welcome home, that Christmas welcome home from Northridge Church. And the second thing I want to do is just give you a little background on the book of Matthew. As we dive into this book, Matthew is, is a unique book because it's a division point in your Bible. You see, your Bible is broken up into two major parts, the Old Testament, which ends at Malachi, and the New Testament, which begins at Matthew. And in between Malachi and Matthew is this period of time where God is silent. 400 years of God not speaking to his people. And this wasn't the first time that God went silent. But the Jewish people were longing and waiting for God to speak. And so in Matthew, God begins to end his silence. And we're going to pick it up in, in verse 19 where we find this internal struggle of one of the main characters in the Christmas story. His name's Joseph. It's Jesus's earthly father. And Joseph is wrestling through a dilemma. You see, he's engaged to be married to Mary, and yet she tells him he's pregnant, and he is crushed by the news. He feels betrayal because he realizes he's not the father. And so Joseph is trying to figure out, what do I do with Mary? We're engaged to be married. And so we get a window into this story in verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, interesting words, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so Matthew gives us a window into Joseph's decision. He had made his mind up. He was going to divorce Mary. Now, it's interesting, because in our culture, this doesn't really line up, right? Like, why, why didn't they just break up? But in this culture, an engagement was almost as strong as a marriage. In fact, in order to get a, out of an engagement, you had to get a legal divorce. And so Joseph has decided to do that. And as he decides to do that, God interrupts his story. An angel comes to him. Look at verse 20. It says, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So just as jo Joseph has made up his mind, God intervenes. God stops him. And I want to pause here because I want you to hear this. God's timing is always perfect. 
Now, I think someone needs to hear that today because here's the reality. Many of us are waiting on God, growing frustrated with God because he's not acting the way we want him to. And you have to understand that God's timing is always perfect. Just as Joseph is getting ready to make a poor decision, an angel of the Lord shows up and says, Joseph, you're not seeing clearly. Joseph, this is, God is doing something bigger than you can imagine. And here's the, some of the last words the angel says to Joseph. He says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Do you realize that this is the first time the Messiah was given a name? The first time recorded in scripture where we are given the name of Jesus. Now here's what's interesting about this name, the name of Jesus. In, in our culture, in our climate, right, in, in church gatherings, right, the name of Jesus is held in, in high regard. It is the name that we sing to, the name that we pray in. But in this culture, the name of Jesus was ordinary. It was common. In fact, the name Jesus in the original language is Yeshua. And it actually would be translated more not Jesus, but more Joshua. It was common. In fact, when you read the New Testament, sometimes you'll read Jesus of Nazareth. It was such a common name for people to understand who they were talking about. They would have to, to, to say, hey, Jesus from the town Nazareth, so people knew who we were talking about. Because his name was very common. Now, I know that might shock you. Wait, hold on, I thought Jesus' name was amazing and so awesome. Well, it's very common, but it's also very different. And I'll show you the difference because the original language is not like the English language. But in the description of Jesus' names, what changes his name, look what it says again. It says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And in that description, it actually changes the name of Jesus. It goes from Yeshua to Yahweh saves, Jehovah saves. And that's where we get the term savior from. What the angel was saying is Jesus is your savior. That this baby came to rescue you, save you, to, to reconcile what was broken by you. And both Mary and Joseph are given this exact same message. Now, in order to understand the gravity of these words, we have to step back. We have to understand the culture of the Jewish people, the culture of Mary and Joseph in this time frame. Because the Jewish people were longing, waiting, anticipating a Messiah. The Messiah had been predicted long ago, and so generation after generation after generation after generation after generation is waiting for God to produce the Messiah that he promised. The problem is, God isn't doing it. God isn't coming through. It feels like he's forgotten his promise, and so the Jewish people are growing weary of longing for a Messiah God said would come and isn't coming. And to make matters worse, in this cultural climate, the Romans were oppressing the Jewish people. They were taxing them to death so they could barely make it through the day. They were mistreated, they were abused, and they were being killed. For the Jewish person in this cultural climate, hope had left a long time ago. They were just lucky to make it through the week. 
And now from that perspective, imagine how Mary and Joseph heard these words. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. Do you know how much hope was in those words? You know how how much joy was, was in those words? Because what the angel is saying to Mary and Joseph is the Savior was arriving. The Messiah was coming. But in that, there's a tension for us thousands of years later. Because maybe for the Jewish people, this was a hopeful message. But in 2023, we have a tendency to ask a different question. Okay, well, I understand they needed a Savior, but I honestly today don't feel like I need a Savior. My life is good. Like I got everything I want and everything I need. And, and my family's good. And yeah, sure, maybe I wish God would save me from my circumstances or like New York taxes. If he could do that, that'd be great. But honestly, I feel pretty good. Self-sufficient. In fact, we talk about Savior all Christmas. What exactly is Jesus saving me from? I don't feel like I need rescued. So what is he rescuing me from? Well, the angel told us. The angel said that he will save his people from their sins. Now, there you go. There's a churchy word if I've ever heard one. The word sin. You see, I I grew up in church. And in church, right, in, in gatherings of church, we use what I like to call Christian ease, a religious language that church people know all about, but people far from God are like, what are they talking about? I promise you, out in our culture, out in our city in Rochester, no one's walking around using the term sin. So what is sin? If Jesus is saving us from sin, what in the world is this? Well, sin just simply is rebellion against God. It's when you and I choose to act or not act, think in a way that that, that opposes God, that goes against God's way. And so sin is rebellion to God, but here's here's what we really need to hear about sin. We are all guilty of it. Every single one of us is a sinner. And and, and you might push back on that, you might not, because when you look at our world, the evidence of sin is all around us. It's why none of us as parents have to teach our little children to lie. They're already really good at it. It's why when you look at the news, you see atrocity after atrocity, day after day, murder after murder, abuse of a child, a war. It's because sin is real. It's it's why we can wrong and hurt people. It's why you carry guilt and shame around. It's why in your head you can think really awful and nasty things about people. It's why we can get so angry so easily. It's why addictions are so hard to break. You want to know why? Because we are all sinners. Now, maybe some of you today will push back and be like, listen, I get it. I know a lot of sinners. I'm just not sure I'm one of them. I'm not sure I've done anything in my life that rebels against God. Okay, let's say that's true about your life. Can I tell you, you're still a sinner. Well, you say, well, how? Well, you see, that starts from the very beginning. Because the story of the Bible, the Bible is a big book. 
a book that can be confusing at times, a book that is full of many different stories. But we have to realize that the Bible, all the stories in it are pointing to one narrative, one story. And that story is God made things perfect, humans ruined it, and God is willing to pursue us enough to restore it to what, it, what, what, what it, he wanted it to be. And we pick up that story right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. God creates everything, and he creates it perfectly. Man and women dwell with God in perfect harmony. Like, nothing hinders them until Adam and Eve choose to ruin it, choose to rebel against God, choose to sin. And what we have to understand is that choice by Adam and Eve, fair or not fair, cursed our world and all of humanity. It marked us as sinners. Let me put it to you like this. I have a beautiful, huge bottle of drinking water. Anybody who drinks this much water is awesome. <laughs> and here's, here's the reality of this water. This is the type of water you want to drink. It's clean. It's pure. Right? You can see right through it. And this is exactly how God made the world. Flawless. Perfect. Nothing hindering man's relationship with God. It was a beautiful thing. Until it wasn't. Because what happened is Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. They chose to sin. And when that sin entered the world, it began to change everything. You see, just like this water, it'll never be the same. It's distorted. It's changed. The Bible says it like this. For all. Why have all? Because of Adam and Eve. We are all tainted by sin. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And so our natural human response, knowing that we are sinners, whether we think we've sinned or not, is to fix the problem. And so we, we try to live good lives. We try to, to be uh, good, righteous. We go to church. We do everything we can to somehow get the stuff out of here that ruined it. And it doesn't change. Nothing we do can fix the problem that Adam and Eve created, fair or not fair. Like, I will try everything I can to solve the problem, to fix the water, to get it back to pure. And I can't. In fact, this is what Ephesians says. It, it, it paints the picture for us. It says, as for you and me, we are dead in our transgressions and in our sin." That our sin is a bigger problem than we can ever imagine. It's unfixable. And so what this does is it leaves you and I born into this world like this, helpless and hopeless. Because no matter what you try to do, you can't fix that. And guess what that means? It means every single one of us, we are all in desperate need of a savior. We all need it. Whether you think you need saved or rescued or not, you are in need of a savior. And that is why this Christmas, when we read Matthew chapter one, verse 21, it should just bring sheer joy into our hearts as Christ followers. 
Because it's the changing of the story. It's the part of the movie we all love. It's when the hero arrives and starts to fight. It's like every movie we love, right? It's like it's right when Rocky lands that first left hook on Ivan Drago. It's, it's when Maverick re-engages in the dogfight. It's when Katniss Everdeen shoots an arrow at President Coyne. It's when Harry Potter overcomes Voldemort. It's when Frodo destroys the ring. For all you ladies, it's that Hallmark movie when the guy gets the smooch on the lips. It's when the bills come back from six and... Never mind, I'm sorry. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Buffalo Bills fans. You know I had to, okay? I'm sorry. But this is the moment in history when this begins to change. And from that perspective, knowing you need a savior, listen to these words. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why the name Jesus? Because he's your savior. And he will save you from the thing you can't save yourself from. Your sin. And so what the angel was saying to Mary and Joseph and what he was he's saying to you thousands of years later is good news. I bring great news. Your savior has arrived. Not just your savior, but your hope and your healing, your future, your peace, your joy, your life change has arrived, has stepped onto the scene. And so as we understand the name of Jesus and what it means for you and I, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas this season, let me just ask you two questions that will prepare your heart. The first one is for some of you today. What savior are you trusting in? You see, you are banking through your actions and your choices. You are banking today and tomorrow and all of your life on something, on a savior. The question is, is it the real one? Is it the right one? Because all of us, whether we see it in our life or not, are in this aimless pursuit of, of trying to fulfill a void that we all have. Trying to find peace, joy, trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction. And what do we do? Naturally, we turn to everything in life. Relationships, hobbies, success, careers, and we hope that, that, that if I obtain that thing that I think will, will be it, it will solve the problem that I just can't seem to solve. But what we find to be true is everything in this world, sure, it satisfies for a season, but eventually it fades away. Do you wanna know why that is? It's because you're trusting in the wrong savior. And maybe this Christmas, for the very first time, you choose to trust in the real Savior. His name is Jesus. A Savior who didn't just stay comfortable, who left heaven and came to earth to die in your place, to pay and solve a problem you couldn't solve and give you victory over it through his resurrection. And maybe this Christmas you make the choice to trust in the real Savior. 
But for many of us, we have. It's why our Christmas every year looks a little bit different. Because we understand who Jesus is and why he came. But my question for you as a Christ follower is, does your life show the evidence that you have a Savior? See, what scares me about my own heart and so many Christians' hearts is we fall for the same trap every year. It happens right around December 1st, where we as Christians, knowing who Jesus is and what he did in our life, somehow convince ourselves that something under the tree or this season will bring joy and peace and love, something that Jesus already died to give you, that you already have. So are you falling for that trap? When people look at your life, people far from God, at your workplace, in your schools, in your colleges, when they look at your life, do they say, man, that woman, that man, they have something that I desire. Because when their circumstances are chaotic, they have peace. And when they shouldn't have joy, they have it. And I want that. Is there evidence in your life that you have a Savior? So at the very first Christmas, this baby boy was given a name. His name is Jesus. A common name. An ordinary name. And yet let Let's look at what Jesus and God say about this name. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, because of Jesus, your Savior, He solved your problem. And maybe this Christmas, because of Jesus, you can experience your first Christmas for what it truly is. Let's pray together. Father, so many distractions, so many things that pull and tug at our hearts this season. God, help us to see Jesus for who he truly is. God, I pray for the person who just needs to know they need a savior and you are it. You are it, God. You are what we desire. And I pray that your spirit would draw them to you. And God, for us as Christians, may the evidence be clear that no matter what life brings us, we have all we need in Jesus. In his name we pray.